Hi everyone, this is Marsha, and I'm the director and founder of the Brooklyn Caribbean Literary Festival. I'm thrilled and elated to announce the birth and launch of our brand new podcast, CocoPod. Consider the aromatic CocoPod and how, after carefully ripening under the Caribbean sun, it generously offers up its rich fruit in due season. CocoPod by BCLF aims to provide a similar delight. Each episode is a seed, a nugget of an original Caribbean story told in the voice of its writer. Each story, an infinite gift by the offshoot of an ancient griot tradition. As a whole, Caribbean stories are like a mighty tree whose branches extend, offering shade and comfort wherever her children settle. From my team and the legion of Caribbean writers behind us, we bring to you the warmest of welcomes. Hi, my name is Soraya Palmer, and I want to tell you all about my book called The Human Origins of Beatrice Porter and Other Essential Ghosts. It's taken me over 10 years to write this, and I'm so excited that it's finally out in the world. It's currently out in the U.S. and Canada with Catapult, and it's going to be available in the U.K., in the Caribbean, amongst other places, starting in April. Uh, This is a book that follows two sisters, Sasha and Zora, who are very close but very different, as they are coming of age in Brooklyn. Um, And they grow up with a family who is very into storytelling. The mother is from Trinidad and the father is from Jamaica. And they grow up hearing stories about the rolling calf and Anansi the spider. And at a certain point in their lives, they start to realize that these aren't just stories, that the stories are actually coming to life right before them. And so like Sasha and Zora, I also come from a family of storytellers I grew up in Brooklyn to a Trinidadian mother and a Jamaican father who grew up telling me stories about the rolling calf and Anansi and writing stories as well. Um, I have a lot of artists and writers in my family, including um, C. Everett Palmer, who has written a lot of cherished Jamaican children's stories. If you don't know who that is, you should definitely look him up. Um, And yeah, I think because of my family, I grew up being really into fairy tales, into folklore, into stories, and started wanting to write some of my own as well as incorporating the ones that I grew up with that you will see in my book. So What I'm going to read is actually the prologue of my book that is told from an omniscient, mysterious narrator. Most of the chapters are told by one of the sisters, Sasha or Zora, but some of them are told by this narrator. Um, And this book is dedicated to my parents and their parents before them, because without them, this book would not exist. Um, it's really dedicated to all of my ancestors and all of the storytellers 
who have never been acknowledged throughout history. My book also starts with two of my favorite quotes. The first is, while tongues cannot be tamed, they can only be cut out. Gloria and Zaldua. And the second is, if you surrendered to the air, you could ride it. Toni Morrison. Prologue. What's my name? A prelude. By the time you finish reading this, I will be dead. And you, dear reader, will have forgotten all about me. You see, I am what they call your faithful narrator, found in places the West calls fairy tales, what men call gossip, what children call magic. Let me tell you a story. This one we call the first. It is a story that sounds like all the others, and yet it is also the one that has allowed for the existence of all that will come afterward. But we'll get to that. In this story, two women sit inside a bar. The first one says, let me tell you a story. The second one says, so tell me already. Okay, okay, she goes. Once upon a time, there was a girl. She starts and looks into her drink. Her tongue starts to hang out like an udon noodle. Well, go on, the friend says, mistaking her hanging tongue for excitement. Only the girl's tongue won't move. The girl's breath is fixed in midair. Her lips form the letter O. Her friend pricks the tongue with her fork to see what's the matter, and the tongue falls out and skitters like worms on the ground. The bartender scoops up all the pieces he can find, and they wriggle in his hands. He worries about the mess he's made. He asks the friend to fetch a jar and cap from the top shelf of the bar in order to contain the skittering tongue pieces. He looks down and notices no blood, only eraser dust. The bartender thinks this is strange, but he goes to the bar to fetch his needle and thread. He begins to sew the tongue back together for the girl. This is a very difficult job for the man, as the pieces of her tongue keep moving, like the tongue doesn't want to be caught. Mountains of eraser dust are flying from her mouth, getting all over the floor. Her breath stands before them. The bartender does a good job of mending, except that he sews her tongue onto a piece of paper and stuffs it into her mouth. The girl and her friend rejoice as the girl begins to speak again. But every time she tries to tell her story, the words come out backward. The ending changes. Let me tell you a story. This one will give you hope. Once upon a time there was a girl, and this girl grew to be a woman, and this woman had the ability to conjure stories from ghosts. Now the conjure woman had three daughters who loved her stories so much that when she died, it was all that she left them. Little did they know that these stories had a life before them, that this book had a life before me. You see, the woman and her family existed in a place called Brooklyn, where the maples lined the pavement, and the houses were made from limestone and brownstone that glittered like stars do under moonlight. It must have been divine providence that white folks refused to live on these streets, believing they were haunted therefore leaving the most beautiful houses to be claimed by the descendants of slaves from all over the Atlantic. White folks were not entirely wrong about the haunting either. If you were to walk down these streets, you might hear the faint sound of steel drum and boombox and chickadee and pigeon. Or you might hear the chattering of ghosts, the spirits of colonialists, Ashanti warriors, slaveholders, African griots, mythic creatures, and stories long since forgotten. But while white folks may call this a haunting, we know them to be the ancestors. After all, they only want to be able to walk through their homes like they did before their deaths. To sit in the kitchen drinking Milo, bestowing wisdom onto their children who are at risk of forgetting all about them. 
Now this family lived in the only rose-colored building at the end of Maple Street. The youngest called herself Zora, or she who will one day grow up to be a great writer like her namesake. She could be found conjuring her mother's words into stories, or if not, she could be caught face-flushed with embarrassment, fantasizing about a boy or two. And then there was Sasha, the eldest who felt her story should shine brightest for once, commonly referred to as the black sheep, or she who nearly disappeared until she found her true self. This girl did have spunk. They say the girl had a chip on her shoulder the size of El Tucuche Mountain for nearly everyone, but particularly for her father, who legend had it, defeated a rolling calf with only a penknife and the power of his gaze. Even with the new baby on the way, the family still fought like wolves, cutting in their ability to wound each other. The man they called father moved out one day to live with a woman who didn't expect bread to be baked by stories. New daughters were birthed, several hearts were broken, and the maple trees were cut down and replaced with coffee shops. At this point, we all should have known what was coming, the scars that would form, the wounds that would never heal. It's true that Anansi stopped visiting the man's dreams at night. He couldn't tell his stories the way he used to. Images of Anansi, the rolling calf, and the purple balloon came and went in spurts. The wife, on the other hand, never stopped believing in magic. But I will never forget the day that I first arrived in the arms of the sisters. It was the day when my two girls got me as their Christmas present. I was sitting quietly between words inside the blank spaces of the Anansi stories, waiting to be unwrapped. You see, the book I lived in had been given to them by their mother, who got it from her grandmother, who got it from an Ashanti priestess who was there when it got made. Rumor had it that all women who tried to read the Anansi stories aloud had their throats and tongues cut from their bodies like farm animals. The sisters had no idea the lengths that had been taken to keep these words alive. But every night, they would sit in the kitchen over Milo and go, I am Nanny, leader of the Maroons, mother of all Jamaicans, the eldest Sasha, wraps her hair in a pillowcase and holds up a shell, imagining it is in a bang. She speaks to her fellow countrymen. Please, if you can, imagine you are invited to watch these girls right now. Pretend that you are a part of the enactment. Pretend you can decide how the story will end. Hint. The setting is a kitchen. The scene's objective is to show two sisters conjuring history. Sister two, also known as Zora. Yes, you are Nanny, lady who caught billets in her behind and farted them out at her enemies. Sister one, also known as Sasha. Disgraceful. You are banished from my maroon settlement. I am Queen Nanny, the only African living in Jamaica who was never taken into bondage. Nanny forced the British troops to allow the Maroons to live in peace. This pot here represents the cauldron that burns without the use of fire. It lured the British into its waters. Sasha points to her mother's pot in the kitchen. The British troops try to climb up Blue Mountain, but they fall right before the peak, breaking their backs in two. In three, one for the dupes they tricked into becoming one with their militia. Two for the bloodhound that eventually brought them down. Three for the bastard that killed Nanny. The one they called Sasha stops stirring. The cauldron turns back into a pot. The air beating beneath it becomes fire. It was yesterday that they picked me up in their textbook and saw it plain. Jamaica's national hero, affectionately referred to as Nanny, is of mythic status. Leading historians to not know how much of her existence has been fabricated by the oral tradition prominent in Jamaican culture. What is known to be true is that she was betrayed and murdered by one of her own, a man they call William Cuffey. This was the first time I ever heard that version. 
the one where she died. Right then, I felt the spirit slip from the ink and get cold. Of course, in my version, she's still alive, replaying over and over again her final battle. Sometimes she shoots down the entire British army using only one bag of arrows. Sometimes she uses her cauldron to create more arrows. Sometimes the cauldron makes a soup that is poison to her enemies but antidote to her fellow maroons. I could never forget that story. There are burn scars from the cauldron that run up and down my thighs. Some days I forget what happened, and then I taste the bami and escovite she made for Cujo on my tongue. I feel her handkerchief rub up against my cheek. There are scars that have faded that I feel some mornings. My hands are blistered. My breasts are chapped. But I especially love the way my two girls tell it. That is until this time, the time that she died. And I know we just met, but I have a small request for you. I need you to save my life. Yet already I feel your interest in me waning. You think that despite the fact that I've called you by name, that my words do not concern you, that someone else will pick up these words and take on the job themselves, that you don't have what it takes to save a girl like me. And because you choose to be my voyeur and sit here watching me, you too have become a part of this crime. You may have to pay for this someday. But don't worry. You don't need to do much. All you gotta do is know my name. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to follow CocoPod and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss new stories when they drop. One last thing. Caribbean stories and Caribbean writers need our help. Show your support by sharing and downloading this podcast as far and as widely as you can. Buy their books, support independent bookshops, and request Caribbean titles from your local libraries. Remember that a rising tide lifts all ships. Give thanks. For more Caribbean storytelling goodness, follow CocoPod and BCLF Always Lit on all major podcast platforms. <laughs>